Rusty Quill presents. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three blindfold matchbook men. Which one will you get? Teddy is smoking. Remy is sleeping. And Lenny is making a bet. Duncan's matches. The one strike match to ignite the flame in an intrepid man's life. Every Lenny pack comes with a wooden penny to stake your bid in any game of chance. Duncan's matches. Which blind man will give you a penny? Better ask Lenny. Up on the 13th floor of the Duchess Hotel, Behind a dark door sat three nervous members of the Guild of Poisoners, effective members for hire to the various elites and dangerous organizations in the city. Their motto, Dosis Sola Facet Venenum, the dose makes the poison. Fred was a factory man, slick and well-tailored. He liked to show off a little and play the gambling halls. Zuka had been a ballerina at the cusp of fame when an accident destroyed her feet and chance at stardom. She had a mysterious possession in a box on the dresser and never strayed too far from it. Paris Green was brother to the textile baron Edmund Green. Paris never had a head for business and was always dodging in and out of trouble with his looks and charm. Edmund had him on an allowance but he supplemented his income after being recruited into the guild. Fred had set up a card game in the room of the haunted old dame to draw out one of the Duncan pit bosses and get him to gamble away the marker on his life. And it was with a sharp knock of heavy knuckles that Digby Duncan made his way into the room alone. He was short, but held himself like he was a good head taller and gripped his walking stick like a mallet. He removed his derby and flipped it onto the bed, already controlling the room. Fred, my son, what a glorious invite you present to me. Such a pleasure to attend a game with you and... He looked around the room. Your compatriots here. Such a lovely girl, he winked at Zuka. And this dashing young man? Must be Paris. I'm surprised you're alone, Fred said. Digby scoffed. What would I need muscle for? A friendly game, Freddy boy. That box over there is all I need. It won't take too long before I clean the pot and walk out of here with your luggage. He winked. 
took off his jacket and straddled the chair. Now, he staked a stack of cash and some Dunkin' pennies on the table. Are we going to play or are we going to play? Paris handed Digby one of the bottles of beer he had in a pail with ice he'd ordered up from the bar. Zuka poured a vodka for herself and a vodka for Fred. Fred lit a cigar, and Paris sipped on a flask of chartreuse. Fred opened a pack of cards and started to shuffle. He played with a matchstick in his mouth as he eyed Digby. Digby slugged the beer and looked around the room. Such serious faces, you lot. Figured this would be an evening of fun. Love me a night at the Duchess. As he shifted, a pair of brass knuckles fell out of his waistcoat and onto the table. Oh, dearie me. Forgive that garish fumble, he said. Can't be too careful, can you? I hear the ghost looking about secret passageways in this here lodging. Fred got nervous. Digby, we're friends here. I wanted an honest chance to play for the marker. Duncans have always been men of honor, and they respect the game. And it's at least a fighting chance to not have to. He swallowed a look at Zuka, who was standing between the box and Digby. Digby looked at the cards that Fred was nervously shuffling. Ha, <laughs> Freddy boy! Did you think you would get me with some elaborate roofs? I'll just smash you in the teeth and take it. No muss. Nothing you freak can do about it. He smiled and revealed a shiny silver tooth. Now I'm not interested in messing you up. But I will be honest. I do have something more interesting than cards in mind. Fred was surprised. But before we get to that, you should know I know your plan. And I also know that your boy Paris here has a secret. And I know that secret is he's got a backup plan to pay for your life. And then I know that payment is a lovely emerald necklace. Paris stiffened. And I also know that that lovely emerald necklace actually belonged to his richie brother. And he boosted it from his house. And I also know that that boosted necklace is not where pretty Paris left it. Boy, he don't know. Is that not where he thinks it is? Digby smiled at Paris. What's the matter, Paris? Suddenly in a rush, have a pressing appointment. I've heard about you, Paris. I was told you'd steal the blinds and the curtains. What do you think, Fred? What if I take your necklace and your pet and maybe your pretty ballerina here? Fred stood up. Now, wait a minute. I'm no slouch. You come here for a fight, you'll get one. Easy, Freddy boy. Just riling up the old wriggles. Now we know where everyone sits. We'll have ourselves a nice cards all civil like. If you win, I leave hat in hand. If I win, you deliver that case downstairs with your pretty thing herself into my carriage. And you come for a talk with the Duncan brothers. We agreed. Paris rushed out the door to the lobby to check the hotel safe. Digby and Fred both settled down in their seats and Fred shuffled the cards, looked at Zuka, and dealt out the first hand. Victor Van Housen, a man with poor circulation, sat at the carousel bar 
in deep rumination. Cecil tried to stir up some conversation, but Victor wasn't biting. He finished his vermouth, asked Lloyd to have his dinner sent up, and rolled his wheelchair out of the bar. Goodbye, Asterix, Cecil said. He turned to Lloyd. Poor spirit. Maybe if he just talked to someone. Cecil spread more jam and clotted cream and enjoyed his scone. Instead of going into his room, Victor positioned himself at the end of the hallway, staring down its length, feeling nothing, waiting for a stream of strangers to come and jostle loose some line or idea of genius. He waited until Winston met him in the hall with his dinner. He ordered up a bowl of the vichyssoise so he couldn't tell if it had gone cold from waiting too long. He looked out into the long hallway, the various doors, and he counted them. Imagine the transitory lives behind them. Tried to envision the persona that walked the halls up and down over the years. He'd seen a great many of them. He felt the crushing weight of the idea of being able to write about everything or nothing at all. And felt like it would never make a bit of difference anyway. His lids got heavy. He slowly got drowsy. And fell into a sleep. The Vichyssoise of Chef R. Thurston was a well-developed and now quite famous recipe along with his mock turtle soup. There had been quite a scandal for a period of time over the mock turtle recipe, as it had been accused of being stolen from the famous recipe of Eleanor's Nightshade Cafe. They had both introduced it at the same time. Eleanor's was quite thick and included ginger snaps. Chef Thurston was simpler and had paprika. For a while, there were a run of orders as its reputation had spread through the city as a murderous soup which of course was ridiculous. Chef R. Thurston, head chef at the Galliard restaurant in the Duchess Hotel, had a sterling reputation for delightful and daring cuisine. Now the R was said to be for ramshackle, an odd name for a chef, but not necessarily odd for a nickname for a ship cook, a no-nonsense leader who created intense loyalty from his rugged kitchen staff. The various kitchens around the city were known to rumble, so all the dishwashers, line cooks, and sous chefs needed to know their way in a fight brandishing a rolling pin, pan, or cleaver. Ramshackle had a reputation for pushing the edge of cuisine to the daring. And once, in order to gain some press, he'd worked to develop a preparation of a known deadly mushroom. It was through a special process and only by creating into a soup that he was able to remove the dangerous toxins and set the mushroom soup on the menu of the galliard as a kind of dare. No one had ever tasted the mushroom before, and it was said they tasted like nothing else and were worth the risk of life. The head food critic of the Lantern paper at the time, Tanner Capstone, had savaged Thurston in the past and was unforgiving of his cuisine. Tanner took up the dare, and on the promise of an above-the-fold front-page story, everyone crowded around when Tanner arrived at the galliard. He sat alone in the booth, and Thurston delivered the soup himself in a gilded bowl and a spoon, a dollop of sour cream in the middle. Tanner was not timid and tasted the soup with a spoonful. He leaned back a little inside. He grinned and devoured the rest of the bowl with cheers from the crowd. Thurston ran out of orders that night, with all the galliard guests in awe of the soup and those cowardly sniffing and asking a myriad of questions to those brave enough to eat it. Some say it was a hoax, 
and the mushrooms were perfectly tame, and it was all a stunt. Weeks later, Tanner returned to the Galliard and became a frequent patron. Until one night, Tanner was dining with a group of guests when he ordered the beef wellington. After drinks and appetizers, the wellington came. Tanner took a bite, chewed, looked surprised, and then boiled into a rage. He leapt from his table, leaving his guests, and stormed into the kitchen. There was the sound of shouting and pots and pans rustling and clanging, and then nothing. His guests thinking that whatever the issue, Tanner must have left through the back. However, the next morning, inspectors and a constable arrived from Needle Street, and after a search, they found Tanner's body shoved into the dumbwaiter in an unnatural shape. The ever-loyal kitchen staff said they didn't hear or see anything. They speculated that someone Tanner had taunted in his food column had gotten revenge at the Galliard. What do you think happened? So it wasn't a bowl of the mushroom soup, but the vichyssoise. A far tamer and popular soup had ascended the floors up to Victor for his dinner as he fell asleep and lightly snored in his wheelchair. The cat Asterix watched as a door down the hall opened late in the night, and three large Duncan men came in through the stairs, down the hall, and entered the room. Shortly after they came out, Digby Duncan led the men, carrying an unconscious Fred and Zuka and the box from the dresser, carried them out into the hall and to the stairs quietly. Digby looked down at the cat, and he meowed. Hey there, kitty. How are you this fine evening? Get some fine scraps, did you? Listen, we've got some bad business to take care of here. There's nothing to see, eh? These folks are just sleeping. I'll take them little dreamy walk to the basement where we can settle things. You up here all alone, are you? Good kitty. He petted Asterix while the Duncan men carried Frad and Zuka into the hall. Digby slipped in behind them, and Paris was nowhere to be seen. Just as the fire door to the stairwell was closing, the elevator door opened, and Winston, the manager of the Duchess, exited into the hallway with a bucket, a mop, a large plunger, and several bottles of nasty-looking chemicals that Lillian had mixed up for him. He was looking at the ceiling for any sign of red streaks or moss as he muttered to himself, Don't I take care of you, don't I? How many bellboys are you going to take? I can't seem to see how much attention you might need the night before the wormwood. What have I done this time for you to take a young woman in the molly caldron? What kind of curse is this? Really, Duchess, always so dramatic. He spotted Victor at the end of the hall. He stopped to watch him sleep. Oh, Victor. She always said you had such a handsome mind. Now look at you. Just as infatuated as I am, I fear. He rolled Victor into his room, let the cat in, placed the soup bowl inside. Then he closed the door, returned to his bucket, where he stepped into a puddle in the carpet. It squished under his shoes. He pushed the door open to the room where the sink had flooded and the red moss had clawed out into the hallway around the doors. He sighed a big sigh and then attacked it with his bottles and mop. Is it safe to say that Fred and Zuka are in danger? What did Digby Duncan have in store for them? Where did Paris run off to, and did he really steal a necklace from his brother Edmund? Did Chef Thurston create a ruse just to kill Tanner, the food critic of the Lantern? Or was there some kind of foul at play? 
Will Victor ever catch his inspiration anywhere in the halls of the Duchess or be released from his creative prison? Will Winston rid the Duchess of the Red Moss in time for the Wormwood revelry? Have another bowl of soup. The management will be up in just a moment on the next episode of Celine. Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Noon Night Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacle. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and again and again and again and again and again and again. And again.